This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in, everybody, to a new edition of the BearCast here on Sikkim365.com, the 365 Sports and Baylor Bears on Sikkim365, the YouTube channel, uh, to go and check out and also press like on and press subscribe to and uh, become a, a subscriber if you haven't already. Follow it along with us each Tuesday at around 11.15 during the season. Uh, we are here to recap and preview and review and do all those different things, talk all the big headlines when it comes to Baylor football. And uh, that is also the case this week in a special edition because for the first time in a long time, we were joining you after a win as the Baylor Bears beat Long Island 30-7 to for their first victory of the 2023 season to close out the non-conference as well and enter Big 12 play at 1-2 and two where they will now be back at home for the fourth straight week and this time hosting a top team not only in the league but in the country in the number three Texas Longhorns. So that is coming your way. Uh, some talk about the Longhorns, some talk about this win, and some talk about all of the headlines going on with Baylor football. But Garrett Ross behind the scenes. I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer. And Grayson, uh, well, just good to talk about a win, even though it wasn't, you know, some, you know, resume, you know, highlight, or if it wasn't, it wasn't uh, some, you know, dramatic, highly watched game. It was just a game that happened, really. But uh, man, they needed a win, and they finally got a win on Saturday. Definitely. I mean, that's the main storyline coming from this game. And I I know you can look at other things and be disappointed and maybe, you know, how the Bears showed up for that game, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But um, in general, they just needed to find a way to win a game. And they were able to do that. They come away with a win. They ran the ball well, which will be fun to talk about also. But I think in general for the morale of this team, it's more so just like, okay, got to win. Now let's see if we can stack good days together. That's kind of where I think they're going to be at this week um, in a very important week. You know, that this is a game that's going to be very key for them in the direction of this football team and more so just how they look, not necessarily whether they, you know, come out and dominate this game or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is, is how they look uh, because I don't know that many people are expecting a win. Uh, a win would obviously be some massive upset. Um, Texas, a, a good team. They had a little bit of a I don't know if it was a letdown, but I guess letdown is probably the right word. Following the Alabama win, taking on a Wyoming team that's very scrappy, very good. We saw them beat Tech to open the year, so you knew that Texas would have to play, you know, uh, relatively well um, because Wyoming was going to be pesky, and sure enough, they were. And it took uh, up until the fourth quarter for Texas to uh, pull away and to uh, gain some you know, comfortable lead to be able to close that one on out. But Wyoming made that one interesting. How interesting can Baylor make it? I mean, that's the big question. But uh, certainly, if they were to pull off the upset here, it would be uh, shocking and it would be an all-timer of a win for Dave Aranda in this program. It'd be exactly what they need, actually. Um, But as we're going to get into, easier said than done and not likely based on what we've seen through three games so far. But before we get into Texas, let's get into Long Island and the 30-7 to win. Again, the first one of the year, the first win in six games for this football team or six straight losses. Uh, First win since the Oklahoma game in Norman last year. The first home win since the Kansas game last year, which were nearly uh, a month uh, 
it's nearly been a, a year exactly uh, since the Kansas win last year. So, yeah, you've got the offseason and all that, but it had been a long time since you got to celebrate at McLean Stadium. Unfortunately, by the end of this game, there weren't a lot of people left at McLean Stadium, but because of the weather, uh, as we'll get into, but uh, Grayson, uh, early on, they get the ball and a three and out to start this game. You're like, what in the world after, you know, all the hand-wringing and just the, I guess, bad feelings around kind of what we had seen through the first couple of weeks to see them roll out in the very first drive, get the ball against Long Island, and it's like, okay, well, this should be fun. This will be entertaining. They'll just kind of do what they want, and a three and out to open the game was like the exact thing that you didn't want to do other than a turnover pick six or something like that, but that's what they did, and that kind of set the tone for at least the first half that would be a first half where um, – you know, there really wasn't a whole lot to write home about. As we'll get into, though, uh, they were able to uh, force a punt on the following drive and then get the ball back, and then they did what you expected them to do. 13 plays, 92-yard drive to take a 7 to nothing lead. Had some Richard Reese, had some Bryson Washington, had a little bit of Sawyer Robertson throwing it around on this drive as well, and some Dawson Pendergrass, which would be foreshadowing for the rest of the afternoon. But Richard Reese, a 13-yard touchdown run, and uh, took a drive longer than you would have liked. But regardless, Baylor up 7 to nothing on Long Island, and uh, then you're feeling pretty good about them scratching uh, the surface of what you thought they could do against the uh, Sharks and getting on the board first here. Yeah, I just feel like you kind of knew that they were going to be able to run the football, right? After this drive, it kind of felt like, okay, so they're going to be able to run the football kind of as much as they want, and so now it's just going to come down to can they hit on explosive plays, can they force turnovers, can they do some things like that, because... On this drive, it was very evident Long Island was not equipped to stop them from running the football. Uh, And, I mean, you're up 7-0. You can't be too disappointed. 13 plays, 92 yards. That's a great drive. That's a nice long drive. But, again, something that is just plaguing Baylor is just, like, you can't do 13 plays, 92 yards every single drive. Like, you have to be able to hit some explosive plays. And that's just simply what we really haven't seen since, I guess, the opening game of the year, which even they had problems with that against Texas State as well. Yeah, we wouldn't see it in this game at all. Uh, The explosives are nowhere to be found, basically. And you're about to play a team that thrives on explosives, that has the ability to hit them from a lot of different areas. And, um, you know, yeah, just the pulling of teeth that every drive seems to take where it's just – long and plotting and you know just 12 plays in the red zone is what it feels like sometimes of just like golly it's like three yards in a cloud of dust or I don't know it's just it's very uh, methodical at times and um, when it needs to be that it's it's fine but when it's every single drive is like you're having to use every muscle in your body to, to crack the end zone it's just it's exhausting to to watch them execute sometimes. Right, and it works because you're wearing on the defense, so that makes sense. But then at other times, it just is very tough for an offense. And if you go out and you have a three and out, it just sets you so far behind. So, yeah, I mean, that was just something that you saw uh, early on, and that's more of a game takeaway. But just on this first drive, you know, good rushing attack. It, It was very clear they were going to win up front, which was nice to see. Yeah, the first scoring drive, they forced a three and out, got another touchdown, 16 plays. 82 yards, and at this point, you're like, okay, well, they're probably going to win, but they're not going to score very many points if they're taking, like, nine minutes off the clock on every drive. Uh, But 16 plays, 82 yards, a lot of running the ball again. 
Uh, Sawyer Robertson uh, throwing it around a little bit, but mostly Dawson Pendergrass uh, on this drive, along with a uh, you know a couple of other backs in Washington and Reese getting some carries. But fourteen uh, nothing, Dawson Pendergrass, this first career touchdown, a little one yarder, and the Bears are up fourteen to nothing. And you're feeling like, all right, this is the start you want to get off to. Sure enough, turn right around, get a safety. Uh, just a few plays later, and uh, big time play there as you had backed up. Uh, LIU, they got a penalty. You had the big sack from Byron Vaughns right before that to keep backing him up, and then uh, able to uh, you know get the safety here on a on a you know great play by the defense to you know make their mark early on, and it's a uh, it's uh or was the snap over snap the head. over the head, but, but a great still like a terrible drive for Long Island. Yeah. They went nowhere. Great yeah. drive by the defense, but then a snap over the head by Long Island out of the back of the end zone after they had been pinned back, and it is uh, sixteen to nothing, just like that. As uh, you know, get a play from the special team side of things, even if it was not necessarily all you're doing. But hey, you'll take points where you can get them. So off to a pretty good start here at this point, right? And then this is where this next drive for Baylor is interesting because Dave Randa mentioned how they brought in R.J. Martinez to provide a spark, and this is actually the drive that they brought him in for, which was a little confusing to me just because they had just scored two straight touchdowns on the last two drives. They're on a 16 to zero run. And now you're going to bring in the third string quarterback for a drive. It, it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but Hey, they went for it. So, yeah, I mean, they were up 16 to nothing. You're feeling like, okay, they've got control of the game already. Even if it's not a massive lead, just kind of the way things are going, you feel like, all right, they've, you know, they've, They've gotten the lead, and now they're going to pretty much do what they want to do with this game. And so, yeah, they throw R.J. Martinez in there. Granted, you scored a couple of times, but it was long, exhausting, like dink and duck kind of drives. Uh, but Martinez comes in and 10 plays uh, to go 36 yards, and the drive ends on a fourth and two as uh, R.J. Martinez tries to find Dawson Pendergrass and uh, unsuccessfully turns the ball over on downs. Uh, so you give the ball back to Long Island and uh, – don't get, don't get anything out of the drive with R.J. Martinez at the helm. Right, and one thing I would say here is that I I felt like there was a pass interference call that was not called on the deep shot to Cam Bonner. I, I, I don't understand. Baylor hasn't gotten very lucky with those calls, but that one, I mean, I, I don't know what you have to do to get a call. Now, it was a very underthrown football, which but that, again, leads to more pass interference calls because the receiver's working back to the football. But whatever, I mean, I guess they decide Cam Bonner wasn't working back to the ball, but I, I felt like that could have been called for sure and this is where things got like really weird towards the end of the first half and really left a sour taste in your mouth what had otherwise been like not as impressive or explosive as you wanted because it was only 16 to nothing but then it really didn't look that great after this sequence of events Uh, so you get stopped on a fourth down um, and then give the ball to Long Island at midfield basically they take four plays and uh, have a 10-yard touchdown run to cap off the drive after um you know, a uh, big pass play uh, to get them deep into Baylor territory. A couple plays later, uh, they're running it in, and it's all of a sudden a 16-7 to game, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? And it was about to get worse in just a second. But, yeah, uh, yeah this was, you know, you thought they'd probably – they weren't going to get shut out necessarily, but – I don't know. Uh, Sixteen to seven. All of a sudden, was like, man, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, because it felt like the defense had just completely dominated in the first half, and then you just have a couple mental lapses. Uh, they took a deep shot against Bryson Jackson and completed it. Uh, by the way, that quarterback, one of the weirdest throwing motions I've ever seen, uh, the Long Island quarterback. So, I mean, they didn't throw the ball very well at all. I think pretty much all their yards were on this one completion throwing it. So, yeah, a bummer there. But once again, that's an area that people, uh, that teams have attacked 
which is Bryson Jackson in coverage, which that's not really a strong suit. I'm still not sure why he's continuing to be thrown out there in those situations where he's got to cover a slot receiver. Um, but hopefully if they're able to get Devin Lemire back soon, they can move Corey Gordon back to the star. So they score at 16-7, to and then uh, Baylor gets the ball back first play. Turn it over. Fumble Keytron Jackson after a nice gain, and you give Long Island the ball right back. Fortunately, they couldn't do anything with it at midfield. One play, it's intercepted, and that would close out the first half. But because you had just given up a touchdown, you had been stopped on fourth down, given up a touchdown, and then turned the ball over, that was how you closed the half, basically, even though you picked the ball off to end it there. It was more of like, oh, thank God, no more damage. And so you go into halftime, and you're like, okay, like that's – cool they're winning and can't really feel too much better about it than than that quite frankly and just looking forward to hopefully what is a much sharper second half but that second half would take a couple of hours to get to because the rain came the lightning came and you had suddenly a two-hour rain delay um and it was frustrating because there was just very little in the way of updates and so you just didn't know like every time there's a lightning strike it's 30 minutes but you weren't getting updated at all and so I eventually listened to the radio for a second and they John Morris at least like updated occasionally but uh in the stadium there for a while was just like we didn't know if it was like like just just at the mercy of the clock and and that wasn't running either it was just you know you're sitting there waiting so it ended up being two hours and most folks cleared out by the time uh play resumed and I quite frankly can't blame them just you didn't know how long it was going to last and uh the football product wasn't that great and it was just it just was a bad feeling man at halftime of, of this game so eventually they come back and you know what? Uh, a bit better of a showing in the second half, to say the least. Force a punt to start the second half, a three and out, and then another touchdown drive, 13 plays, 76 yards in six minutes and 27 seconds. A lot of Dawson Pendergrass, a lot of Bryson Washington, a lot of just running the football, a lot of running the football in this game. And eventually it's Richard Reese, 13 yards for a touchdown. It's 23-7. to and, uh, you know, you feel pretty much like the writing's on the wall here. Uh, but a long, long drive, as uh, most of them were on the day. And Richard Reese uh, hits pay dirt, so they uh, open it up a little bit. Yeah, and I, I believe this is the play. I could be wrong. There was a play in this game where Sawyer ran the ball for, you know, a pretty good gain. I think it was this one, this 14-yard play, where Hal Presley was just... He had just torched his guy over the top, and Sawyer just needed to step up in the pocket and throw it downfield, and you probably have like a 70-yard touchdown. And so um, that's just an example of, again, there's an explosive play there, but it, it just doesn't happen. Now, I know they score on this drive, but again, 13 plays, 76 yards, that is just so tough to do you know, every time you get the football. So uh, that's just another example there. I did want to mention that interception before halftime was true freshman Carl Williams, which is a pretty cool note as well as they, the freshman really got mixed in in this game. As you mentioned, Dawson Pendergrass, and we'll mention a couple other ones as well. Uh, but yeah, a great start to the second half. Again, there's only 6.50 left in the third quarter after this drive. So once again, you're sitting there thinking, okay, Baylor's probably only going to score, you know, maybe at max 40 points in this game. Yep, so they had a touchdown drive of 13 plays, touchdown drive of 16 plays, touchdown drive of 13 plays, and uh, then they'd end up getting a a punt, uh, forcing the punt. They would then punt it back, then force uh, Long Island to turn the ball over on downs on a little 10-play drive. Eventually, Byron Vaughns with a big sack on fourth and six at the 31 to bring that drive to a close, and then Baylor 10 plays, 
57 yards in just a little less than five minutes, and they make it 30-7 to as Sawyer Robertson hits Drake Dabney for a short little pass, uh, and Dabney gets his third score of the year. Um, but uh, that was the final score of the game as, uh, as Robertson finds Dabney. Uh, Long Island would go on to get the ball one more time following that drive, would end up missing a field goal. Baylor got the ball back, ran the clock out, and that was all she wrote. 30-7, to the final score. Not a lot of drives in this game. And what drives Baylor did have were long drives. Every single scoring drive was a 10 plays or more um, and taking several minutes off the clock. So you like that, but that's just not sustainable, and that's not going to be what they're able to do against Texas or much less most of the Big 12 on a regular basis. So when we talk about lack of explosives, it's great you won. Winning was long overdue. Uh, but, man, like a two-play one-minute, you know, 75-yard touchdown. I know maybe that's asking for a lot, but I also don't think so. Or, you know, five plays and a 20-yard touchdown run or just something that's not a long, grueling process. Some of it by design, of course, of just getting guys carries. And, you know, had they broken loose, then that would have been a, a different story. But, yeah, man, just a lot of running the ball, a lot of long, sustained drives, and, you know, some nice stops by the defense and a long delay in the middle of this game for the uh, thunderstorms. But uh, that was what what she uh, amounted to uh, in this third game of the year, 30-7 to victory over Long Island. So 1-2 uh, and two now, Big 12 play starting up. But, uh, you know, as you kind of talk, uh, took in all the thoughts and, you know, rewash or whatever you did when it came to this game. What were just sort of your prevailing thoughts on what we saw against Long Island? Yeah, so I guess my first thought, and I got a little bit of pushback on this topic, but I, I just, I firmly believe this. The Baylor quarterback play was just not good enough in this game. And I know there were drops. I know, you know, Monterey had a huge drop that probably could have been a, a more explosive play there. And there were a couple others. But in general, if you're completing 13 of 27 passes for 121 yards, it's going to be very hard to score 40-plus points on anyone. And so if your expectation was Baylor scoring you know, 42, 45 points, they need to have better quarterback play in this game for that to happen. Um, they didn't. And you can point to a number of things. The drops by receivers, Sawyer Robertson's ankle, um, you know, RJ Martinez coming in, you know, not, not coming in cold. Um, you can make a lot of excuses, but in general, the, the passing game just wasn't good enough. And that starts at the quarterback position, but it also trickles down to the receivers didn't play a very good game either. Um, I felt like everyone was just kind of, okay, well, you know what? We're just going to turn around and hand the ball off and everything's going to be fine. So, you know, we don't have to make a ton of plays, but it still was very disappointing to see that in a game that I really feel like they, it would have been nice to see them get a little more confidence in that passing game without Blake shape in there. Um, so yeah, I think that was kind of my first, first general thought. Yeah, I mean, 10 of 22 for 121 yards passing is not going to beat anybody in this league with what you have elsewhere on this team. You don't have a dominant defense to be able to overcome that, in my opinion. So that's just simply not going to cut it. It definitely felt like there were balls just dying in the air that Sawyer was throwing. I'm just like, did he throw that right, or did that get tipped? Or, but yeah. they just, just died midway in the air. And I guess you attribute that to the ankle injury and just not having enough behind it, but... Uh, that was a little bit alarming to see. That was also part of the passing game issues. But, you know, I hear Dave Aranda talk about the energy and how they felt like it was fine really in the long run. You know, it wasn't like the first game where they were sort of overwhelmed by the pressure and kind of panicking a little bit. 
Um, but I don't know. I just I don't I don't agree. I, I I see a total lack of energy in some cases and a total lack of motivation to go out there with any killer instinct and go beat up on somebody that has no business being competitive with you on this football field. And yet it took you over a half to separate, and it just I just left a bad taste in my mouth. And I know that you know maybe in hindsight it looks differently or you re- rewatch the tape, but. I don't know, man. Watching it live and in person, I didn't walk away feeling any better. And you weren't expecting to against Long Island. They could have won 70 to nothing, and you still wouldn't have had a lot of questions answered. But just sort of the way this unfolded, it just, I don't know. It was uh, it left a lot to be desired, to say the least. I think so as well. And, and I think defensively, while they were really good and, and you could say dominant because, you know, they only gave up seven points and they really only gave up one drive. But they were playing a team that literally had one 35-yard completion, and outside of that, they threw for five yards. Five yards. You knew they were going to run the football, and still, Long Island ran for 143 yards. I mean, that that's a lot of yards. Like, for a team that is very one-dimensional, and I know maybe, I mean, they definitely were working on things. I understand that. They were bringing in freshmen. They were rotating guys a ton, but still, like, you know the team's going to run the football, and you still can't stop them from running the football to an extent that is, you know, dominance. I mean, four, nearly five yards per carry for Long Island is pretty unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, the defense played pretty well for the most part. You know, gave up just the seven points. Uh, but, yeah, it was... Uh... It was not impressive. It was not dominant the way that you thought it should be dominant. There weren't explosive plays. There weren't a bunch of like, oh, wow. There wasn't a bunch of just like smiling because, hey, you're just beating up on somebody. It was more of like just like the uneasy smile of like, oh, cringy kind of of like, oh, gosh, just get through this one and get on the other side of it. You hate to to be negative, but it's just, I don't know. I hear him talking and how kind of the game went in their minds, and I just I saw it differently. Um, it, it was not as uh, in control as it uh, was – described as on their end I feel like and and they feel like the or he feels like you know the energy was much better this game um and they got some good things done he likes where the talent is mm-hmm. um and you know I do think there is young talent and that's encouraging but I just don't think that people have the right mindset or the patience for what they're trying to do bringing along the young talent it's like they're operating on it's a time and a process and we're building this and everybody else is like well we want to win now and I think that's where there's a huge disconnect right now between where he's viewing it and the program's viewing it and where the fan base and the media and stuff is viewing it. And I don't know really who's right or wrong in that instance, but there's definitely a disconnect there that I think has people kind of speaking two different languages about what we're seeing each week. Yeah, definitely. And I I think a a big part of it is just when you see a team show up with zero energy and zero just like swagger, zero, uh, there's just nothing exciting, right? When you watch Baylor go out onto the field and watch them play so far this year, I mean, outside the Utah game, they're really hasn't been a lot to cheer about and so I think that's part of the questions that come up about Baylor from the fan base and then you look at the Baylor you know football team and kind of their opinions on it I I think they feel like they're a better football team than they've showed so far and probably a team that's going to get better as the year is going to go on but fans aren't aren't ready to be patient for that and I, I do think that it is important to mention you know Baylor was picked sixth in the league Baylor was Picked to win, what, six and a half games coming into the year from Vegas. So, again, I I think the fan base's expectations were a lot higher than maybe 
national and maybe even you could say realistic expectations, I suppose. But I think in general, this is a team that's better than what they've showed. But I do think they're one that needs to show a lot more from a game management and preparation standpoint, uh, because you got to show up to these games ready to play. Like you, you can't show up just because it's Long Island. You can't show up and just think, oh, we're, we're just going to win this game when you're 0-2 and haven't won a game in six games. You know, that that's pretty unexcusable. Yeah, you thought that they would be just smelling blood yeah. come Saturday, and instead it was just like, ho-hum, like, here we are in just another game, and it's like, some urgency, for God's sake, please, some urgency. Like, I don't think you understand the fan base is going to rip its hair out if you don't play with some freaking energy, man. Like, get on it, and uh, it's just it's just hard to come by, man. It's the weirdest thing in the world, and, and clearly people see it differently, but... Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills or something when I hear that that's not the case. I'm like, really? Because it's screaming at me that that's the case. But okay. So um, that was a couple of comments that Aranda had made of ours. He likes where the talent level is. And I do agree with him. They've got some young talent. It's just, again, there's a disconnect on how long that's going to take to get to having a team of those guys and having them ready to go and having them matured and seasoned and, and kind of knowing the, the ropes. But uh, anything else from what he had to say, uh, whether post-game or on Monday at his press conference, before we get into Texas here? Yeah, and I'll dive into a couple comments. I did want to make one note here. You know, Dawson Pendergrass played great. 21 yeah. carries, 111 yards and a touchdown. Bryson Washington, I thought, showed some things as well. 10 for 45. And then Richard Reese, 12 carries for 82 yards and two touchdowns. Um Baylor ran for 270 yards. I felt like the offensive line gave them opportunities to probably run for like 350. They opened up some huge holes. There were some miscut lanes. I just think there were opportunities there for Baylor to be even better. And that's more so me saying, I think the offensive line played a really good game. And they didn't give up a sack. They kept the quarterbacks really clean, which also makes it extremely disappointing that they couldn't do more in the passing game while having a relatively clean pocket. So very encouraged by the offense line after this week. You're clearly seeing the freshman Alvin Ebosele and Caden Siraki get much, much better as the year goes on. And the older guys, of course, Barrington Brothers and Gavin Byers playing really well. So I wanted to make a note of that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Yeah, The running game was established. And the only thing is you just don't know how it carries over necessarily. But it was... It was established, and that was their bread and butter. And, yeah, a great game from Dawson Pendergrass, a career day for him, yards, carries, score, uh, all that first or, you know, new mark set by him. So, yeah, definitely encouraging to see uh, just the energy that he brought and kind of the – uh, just the attitude that he had carrying yeah. the football was was a breath of fresh air on Saturday for sure. Definitely. And then they're probably not going to have Dominic Richardson for at least another week. It seems like he has a high ankle sprain. He's, I believe, questionable for the Texas game. But Dave Randa mentioned that he's probably going to be another week away. Uh, he said the same thing about Blake Shapin. So Shapin probably going to be out this week. Most likely is kind of what Aranda said. Not expecting him. So he'll likely be back for the UCF game. I do believe he's getting close to being full participant in practice but still working his way back to that point um I think Jarrell Boykins I think we didn't see him in this game I think he might actually play this week which would be huge uh, their big nose tackle they were expecting to be their starter they haven't had him all year uh, he got hurt in the spring game has been working his way back uh, I expect him to potentially be back this week I don't know how much how many snaps he's gonna play but he'll definitely help uh, the interior of the defensive line um any other injury notes? Uh, not sure on Devin Lemire yet. He's officially questionable, I think, for this game. Oh, and Tevin Williams will be back. 
He's been out for the last two weeks, so he'll be back at cornerback. We've seen a lot of true freshmen playing that position. I think Tevin will slide right back into that rotation and be one of their top you know, two or three cornerbacks as well. Yeah, the cornerbacks have been one of the bright spots, although they haven't faced, like, outside of Texas State, a huge passing threat. Texas State actually did, did pretty well, obviously, winning that football game, but the corners have been a bright spot, certainly better than expected or projected by anybody, really. Um I think that was one of your grave concerns coming into the year, and it's actually been your strongest suit uh, in many ways uh, in on defense and really on the team, if you really think about it. so I think a big part of that, though, is the function of a lot of teams attacking with the slot because Baylor's had so much trouble with the star position. And, yeah. and that's not to put all the blame on you know one player like a Bryson Jackson or a Corey Gordon or anything like that, but schematically they've been challenged when guys have been playing the slot. And it's made things really hard. Uh, really, really difficult. But yes, on the outside, they've held up really well. Those deep shots down the sideline haven't happened. Uh, this week, though, they're going to be facing a much different challenge uh, with the receivers they're going to see. Well, let's talk it. Uh, Texas, number three team in the country, uh, coming off of a win over Wyoming, had the win over Alabama a couple of weeks back that obviously was a, a big game on the national stage. Final meeting, most likely, between Baylor and Texas. And I know there are probably a lot of reminiscing on all the history and all that, but you know, uh, it's likely they don't meet for a really long time, if ever again. Certainly not as conference opponents, certainly not in Waco. So I think that uh, regardless of how Baylor has looked, uh, this is a historic game to attend, and I expect there to be a great crowd and Obviously, with UT playing well and being highly ranked, I'd imagine they're going to have a big contingent here as well. And probably some people who grew up in Southwest Conference homes or Big 12 homes that, hey, hey, last game playing Baylor that have some kind of connection. So there will be some of that reminiscing, some of that nostalgia, some of that last time ever feel around this game. But as far as the contest itself, uh, let's talk Texas We've talked cornerbacks. They are a team loaded with weapons, especially in the receiving game, which uh, is just one daunting aspect of this matchup. But uh, what do you want to break down or mention as far as the Longhorns go in, in this Saturday? Yeah, I mean, so the the most tricky part about Texas is their skill positions. They have a lot of really talented athletes. You look at Xavier Worthy, who, I mean, if you miss a tackle on Xavier Worthy, you're giving up a touchdown. And so that that's... I mean, it's a daunting challenge. He's going to be probably a second-round pick in the NFL draft uh, this upcoming year. Very, very good player. They also have uh, A.D. Mitchell, who's a transfer from Georgia. Uh, He's already got three touchdowns this year. He's a very explosive playmaker. Uh, J.T. Sanders, uh, dynamic tight end, a very, very good athlete. A guy who, again, I mean, you're going to have to focus on. He picked apart Baylor a little bit last year in their matchup. And then uh, moving over to running back, you know, Jonathan Brooks has kind of taken that role uh, that Bijan and Roshan had a year ago. Uh, he's got 273 yards and a touchdown on 47 carries. He's truly been their workhorse running back this year, which I think a lot of people thought it'd be more of a committee with Jaden Blue and C.J. Baxter, and they've gotten their carries. But, I mean, when they need it, they're going to go with Jonathan Brooks. He played really, really well in that Wyoming game. So curious to see how that plays out. But uh, you put all that together, you throw in a really good offensive line that's very, very talented, and then you throw in a quarterback that does seem like he's taken a step in the right direction in Quinn Ewers, and you feel like this is a much better team and much more complete team than they were a year ago. Quinn right now, 740 yards and eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. But a couple of nuggets on him. He's still only completing 60.7% of his passes, and he's only averaging 8.3 yards per attempt. So he's been good. 
and he was elite in that Alabama game, but he hasn't been consistently awesome. So we'll see if he's able to kind of translate that uh, in Waco this weekend. Yeah, he, he was awesome against Alabama, as you yeah. mentioned. He was great. He had heard the critics. That was obviously a game they had circled as a, you know, a great showing overall. And, you know, Alabama's not 100%, but to go into Tuscaloosa at any point and to just play the way that they did, uh, especially him, some of the throws that he made, just the decisions that he made, he looked really great. He looked like the number one overall pick type of you know prospect or the first round quarterback type of prospect for sure in that game but it does appear as though as talented as he is there's not always that on switch flipped on at all times and uh, to be consistently you know great at hitting the deep ball or whatever it is uh, still a work in progress there and uh, you know that's not a knock that's just that's just how it's been but uh, when he's at his best I mean you see why there was all the talk and why there's all the expectations because he's got some elite tools he just hasn't put it all together on an every week basis to kind of thrust him into that that next level of top quarterbacks that we talk about. Right. Now, I, I think it's important to kind of mention that, that I don't view him as elite yet. I really don't. I think he's very good, but I, I still think there are concerns when I watch him play as far as his accuracy, his decision-making. I still think that there's room for growth for him, which means that there will be opportunities for Baylor to potentially take advantage of that. Um, maybe with turnovers, maybe with sacks, getting pressure is going to be very important in this game. Uh, last year, it was really tough because they couldn't stop the run. And because they couldn't stop the run, it ended up being that Texas was just able to turn around and hand the ball off all game. And so it really allowed them to kind of get away from Quinn and just rely on their rushing attack. And uh, that hurt Baylor because when Texas showed up trying to air it out, Baylor actually played really well in that game a year ago in Austin. They were able to create pressure on Quinn, sack him, force a, fu- force a fumble. I think Gabe Hall had a fumble return for a touchdown in that game um, off a strip sack. So, That's going to be very important to watch. Baylor's got to be able to stop the run, but they also have to be able to continue to get pressure on Quinn. And if they're able to do that, I do actually think they will be able to at least stay in this game. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I just have a hard time picturing a lot of it uh, than putting this this game together as a whole, Uh, just to to be able to do the the things necessary across the board. The win or keeping it close? To, to win, to for win. sure. Okay. <laughs> to yeah. keep it close, I have my doubts as well. Um, okay. Just based on what we've seen through three games. But, yeah, there's there's potential there. But let's look, they're going to have to play the top that they played all year long across mm-hmm. the board to keep this close with in my mind. Unless Texas just rolls in sleepwalking because they've seen the tape and they're like, yeah, this is not going to be hard. You know, this is an Alabama. We don't get geared up for this. I think that could play into it. I don't know that I expect that because it's a Big 12 game and all of that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just, just saying, B- Baylor's going to have to play clearly their best game of the year, and they're going to have to play nearly perfect, in my opinion, uh, and get a little help from Texas as well. Because I just it's just such a different talent-wise, and just based on the, the games we've seen thus far, a total difference in attitude and and those types of things as well. Yeah, and Texas, you know, uh, flipping over the defensive side, they've been – it seems like improved uh, defensively. I mean, yeah. they're creating turnovers. Uh, they're top 10 in the country in turnover margin. They have eight sacks in three games, which is top 50 in the nation. And that includes playing, again, all these numbers are a little skewed because you had to go on the road and play Alabama, right? But they did also get to play Rice, who's, you know, very bad defensively, pretty decent offensively. And then a Wyoming team that, you know, beat Texas Tech. And I know they had their backup quarterback, but still a, a challenge, I would say. So they've been challenged definitely in the early part of their schedule and now they're taking on a Baylor team that I think many people view as reeling and so defensively though for Texas you know 
everyone keeps saying Baylor's going to have to run the football to win this game, and I definitely agree with that. But I will also say that Texas has done a really nice job against the run up until this Wyoming game in which they gave up a huge like 60-yard touchdown run. So, again, those numbers are a little skewed as well. But in general, Baylor's going to have to create explosive plays. That, that is the one area that, in my eyes, you can say, oh, they need to be able to run the ball, oh, they need to be able to pass the ball. But in general, it's explosive plays. Whether that's in the run or the pass game, they have to be able to break off you know 20-plus yard plays. Not consistently, but they're going to need enough of them to where they can at least get into field goal range, get into the red zone. And then, of course, once they get into those positions, they've got to be able to put points on the board uh, because that's been a huge problem in the early going as well. Yeah, Texas uh, defense has been uh, you know, pretty salty. Uh, they definitely have an attitude on that side of the football. Obviously got tremendous talent as well. but And they're old. They're very they're old. they're veteran, and yeah. they've added through the transfer portal. And uh, me, that's that's the area. I mean, I could see the defense getting some stops here and there, even though I think the talent level of just like how do you keep up with all the weapons is makes your mind just go crazy on and, and how you know they're going to defend them. But, yeah, on the other side, I, I don't know how they're moving the ball that well based on what we've seen so far. I mean, if it's last week, then it's going to be an absolute nightmare sh- a scenario. And, yeah, they're going to they're gonna have to hit some big plays somehow or another, and they're going to have to, uh, I don't know, get creative to find ways to find holes in this defense because I, that's, that's the part where I'm just like, I don't know how, even if the defense gets stops, I don't know how they scored it well. You keep you get stops so they don't score, but you know what I mean. It's like this turns into a scoring affair. I don't know how they keep pace uh, in this football game. Yeah, I, I think they're gonna need turnovers because if you can force turnovers, then therefore you can give yourself better field position, give yourself better opportunities to be in more advantageous situations. So that's definitely gonna happen. And honestly, that's how you upset teams, right? You force turnovers, you get stops on third down, you force them to be inefficient in the red zone. Like all these things definitely have to come together and make no mistake about it. I mean, Baylor's a 15 point underdog. Like They're not expected to really be in this game at all. This is the type of game that if Baylor wins, there's probably going to be a field storming. Like, a lot's going to have to come together for them to win this game. And I do think there are reasons for optimism as far as the defense making some plays, keeping them in it for a while. But in general, it it just comes down to, you know, can Sora Robertson not only move them efficiently, but also explosively? And that includes in the run game and the pass game, you know, being able to create those opportunities by converting third downs and then therefore giving your offense more opportunities uh, to create those explosive plays. But you're exactly right. I mean, this is the most athletic defense they will have played this year. Uh, Utah, in my eyes, is more stout up front, more physical than Texas, but Texas is more athletic. And at times, Baylor's had a lot of problems against Texas when they face a very athletic defense. Even when Texas, you know, wasn't even that good, the athleticism still played a role in keeping a lot of those games close it did uh, all right uh, what else from texas here i mean I, I think it's just mentioning some of their playmakers like john a baron who at one time was a baylor signee and now Him, he's byron murphy both yeah. would be great in green and gold but uh, both flipped from their baylor pledges yeah and i had a uh, a piece on that last week actually where i mentioned some of the big recruiting you know battles in quotes but more so just big recruiting misses that have impacted this particular season and I had both Byron Murphy and Jade Barron on there uh, Barron was signed and then he was granted a release from his NLI from Dave Aranda uh, once Matt Rule left and then he was able to go to Texas and my goodness I mean if there's one position I would love to address on this Baylor roster as a whole it'd probably be the star and that is exactly what Jade Barron plays so and he's been fantastic very very good player there uh, Jalen Ford preseason all big 12 candidate linebacker 
elite. I mean, just an awesome football player. Uh, one that I, I again, you you can go through up and down this depth chart and be like, hey man, uh, that guy was recruited by Baylor, and Baylor really wanted him, or you know, this and that. Jalen Ford was a guy that I, I really wanted Baylor to get back when it was his recruitment. Uh, Ryan Watts at cornerback was recruited by Baylor out of the transfer portal. He chose Texas over Baylor. Um, and then Byron Murphy, who, like you mentioned, was a Baylor commit at one time, decided to flip once he got the Texas offer. Um, but there's a lot of guys on here that when you see them play, you're going to be like, hey, I remember that name. And it's because they're very good players, very athletic, um, and just getting better with age. That's what all these guys have done. And, and that's a credit to Steve Sarkeesian and their whole staff that they've been able to develop these guys finally. Yeah, shocker, Texas has recruited well. But, no, I think the difference has been they've developed across the board a lot better uh, than – they have in years past, and that's certainly along with the coaching and just sort of the attitude they've instilled and the, the culture. I think it's all coming to a head in a, in a good way for Texas at the moment. Uh, but, yeah, they're more talented, um, and they're better on both sides of the ball uh, so far based on what we've seen, and it's going to be a real challenge for Baylor to um, keep this close, keep this competitive, and, and try to knock them off. But, hey, any anytime you step on the field, there's always a chance, uh, you know, at least when you're facing a conference mate and – um, you know, you've beaten them before. You've beaten them here recently. I know it's totally different circumstances and, and situations, but, you know, it's not unfathomable they could pull off a win. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to take a much better effort than what we've seen from this team through three games. Uh, take Texas out of the equation, yeah. just in general. That's going to be the case for every Big 12 game, um, but especially this one because Texas does look like they are probably the best team in the league, and if not, they're the second Maybe the third best team in the league, but uh, arguably the top team in the league right now at 3-0 and and number three in the country. So let's get into some questions here. Uh, some of this will shed probably some further light on Texas and just headlines and whatnot in general. Scotty B, any takeaways that, the Wyoming, or that Wyoming did against Texas with success offensively and defensively for Baylor to do this week? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing here was they were able to slow down Quinn in this passing attack. I mean, Quinn was 11 for 21 for just 131 yards. Now, he did throw two touchdowns, but 131 yards, if he comes in here and only throws for 131 yards, Baylor's got a chance. I mean, Baylor absolutely has a chance. If he's completing right around 50% of his passes for just that amount of yards, and remember, 44 of those yards came on a basically not a screen but just a a quick short throw to Xavier Worthy and then he he ran for like 43 yards for a touchdown so again it was not an impressive showing from him the thing Wyoming couldn't do was they couldn't stop the run and Texas ran for 185 yards on just 31 carries that's six yards per carry that was the difference in the game honestly was their ability to run the football and then on the flip side Wyoming was playing their backup quarterback he performed admirably but he, he's, he wasn't great, 136 yards, 17 for 28. Sawyer's going to have to play better than that if they're going to want to win this game. And then on you know running the ball, Wyoming, 155 yards on 38 carries, but again, 62 of those yards came on one carry. So, again, create the explosive plays, create pressure on Quinn Ewers. If you can create pressure, I think you can slow them down a little bit. Um, and then just make life hard for him, you know, throwing through tight windows, playing good coverage, not allowing the receivers to run down the field wide open, not giving them easy mismatches. Those are some of the things I think Wyoming did a really, really good job of that really slowed down Texas. And don't forget, they had a defensive touchdown in the game as well. 
Yep, uh, so there's there's a couple of things for you. You're going to have to find a way to get to Quinn Ewers. You're going to have to find a way to be disruptive. You're going to have to get some turnovers. You're going to have to do a lot of things uh, to to try and pull the upset here. But it's possible. I mean, he's had some, you know, like you mentioned last week, he was susceptible. And, and not just him, but I, I think in general they've shown, you know, they're not, they're not a perfect ball club. Mm-hmm. They look really good, but they're not perfect by any means. So, you know, play your best game. Get a little bit of luck. Hit some explosives if possible and, you know, get some turnovers. I know do all the things you're supposed to do to win games. Don't get penalties, all that. But, like, that's how they're going to win this game. That's how they'll possibly win this game is for all of those things that to basically happen. Uh, Shy Bear, do you genuinely have faith that Dave Aranda can get this turned around to where we all can feel confident about the football program heading into 2024? No, there's zero chance because there's going to be – I mean, you're not going to convince everyone. That, that this is going to be A-OK. Like, there's so many people that are already off the ledge, and, and it's it doesn't matter if Baylor wins out. Like, it's Well, the just, question is, do you have genuinely have faith? Well, it says to where we all can feel confident. Well, well I mean, so I thought yeah, it meant, of course but not. For, but, for, yeah, there's no way. But for me, I guess, just for me in general, I do think that if they're able to turn around, make a bowl, be very competitive in every game, I'll have confidence in them in 2024. Now, if they're out here getting blown out by Texas and then go on the road to UCF, get blown out there, like if they're getting blown out all year, yeah, no, you, you can't have confidence in that. Yeah, I have faith that uh, with the right amount of time and patience that this can get to like a certain talent level and veteran spot where they're highly competitive again. I just don't think anybody's got the, the patience for that at this yeah. point. I just uh, That's where I think, again, I started the show off talking about the big disconnect of it. I just think that... You know, yeah, sure. If we're saying you got five years to put this together, then sure, at some point it's going to come together. But everybody else is like, need it like now, like five years. Like, I don't have time for Corey Gordon to be like a three year veteran. You know, we need like now. So um, I have faith that, like, given time and patience, he could get it to where it needs to be. Um, But I just don't think that people have the time and patience. And and so, yeah, they, they need to show it now. They have to show it and be you know, a better version or the best version of themselves right now. And, uh, you know, if we see that here soon, starting this week, then I think most people will, you know, ha- have a lot better of a time buying in. But based on what we've seen lately, uh, it's going to take much better performances to try and swing some of these these minds. And you know what? That's fair because of what we've seen has just not been up to a certain standard and uh, the explanations don't matter in the grand scheme. The people don't want that, you know, in the transfer portal era especially, it's like, dude, this is year four. Like, we got to be on it, especially the way last year ended. And so, uh, yes, but no, uh, to answer your question, if that makes sense. Yes, I have faith that given patience and all that, he could do it. But I, like I said, I don't think that there's the patience and the confidence that, that's there right now. Um, so, yeah, on, on two different roadways, it seems like. Sustini. Uh, what do y'all think about our special teams so far? I especially like to hear your thoughts on freshman punter Paul Palmer Williams' performance. Yeah, I mean, special teams has been okay. Hankins missed a couple field goals. The one against Utah felt pretty costly. Um, so that was a bummer. The return game has been okay with Corey Gordon. I'm kind of hoping that they get Jordan Neighbors back there eventually to return you know, punts and kicks. I think he's an explosive playmaker. Uh, as far as Palmer Williams, though, I mean, 45 yards per punt, he's been really, really good. And as a guy that's kind of performing at the level that we saw from Isaac Power uh, when Isaac Power was you know performing really, really well. So I'm very impressed with him as a true freshman. He's been great. Useless Kim Degree, what does Baylor have to do to become a top 40 defense? Not specific for this year, more in general for the young guys we have now and the class coming in. I wholeheartedly believe that Dave and Matt know defense inside and out, but I'm baffled at how disappointing our defense has been this year and last. Do we need to reset our expectations for our defense with the personnel we have? 
I mean, to me, a lot of this is just about being more athletic. Um, At linebacker, they're just not very athletic. Like, Mike Smith and Matt Jones are very good players. They're very capable. And, like, you see them play and you see them diagnose plays and and do a lot of that pretty well. I mean, they're not on the level of Terrell Bernard in that regard. But you still see some flashes at times, especially with Mike Smith. But my issue there is they're not fast. They're not overly athletic, and, and that's been a problem. Their secondary, again, not overly athletic. I think that's been a little bit of an issue there as well. And then they got to be able to create a pass rush because it's been hit or miss for the last two years, whether they're going to actually be able to get after the quarterback or not. It seems like every game, it's a twist and a turn. You need that every single game. So I think those are the two things, you know, being able to create a steady pass rush with the guys you have up front, and then in general, just getting more athletic kind of all over the defense. I think it's going to be very important. Ginger Bear, over the past two years, Baylor struggled with discipline, consistency, and motivation. It feels like the problems aren't getting fixed, and we're always taking one step forward then two steps back. What concrete, specific steps can the coaches take to address these three problems and right this ship before it sinks? I'm rooting for the Baylor comeback, but brothers, it's looking less and less likely this season. Sikkim Bears, so discipline, consistency, and motivation. What concrete steps can they take to address those problems? You know, I... I it's really hard without knowing the guys that you have in that room and knowing kind of how everything works for them and how they're trying to do it right now. You know what I mean? Like what, what steps are they taking right now that just don't seem to be working? I I mean, in general, I, I think it really just comes down to your game prep during the week and how motivated are the guys during the week. And then are you able to translate that on Saturdays, which they have not been able to do. And so how do you fix that? I have no idea how you fix that how, how, because I'm not a head coach. I, I'm not paid to make that decision. But I do think in general, you know, you just need to make sure that you're relaying everything that you need to from an information standpoint, from an excitement standpoint onto your players, and that's from coaches to players to support staffs to strength and conditioning. And you got to make sure guys are motivated from Monday all the way through Saturday. It can't be Monday to Tuesday and then, oh, a bad couple practices, Tuesday, you know, Wednesday and Thursday. It's got to be a week-long progression of getting more and more excited to go out there and win a game. Well, that's the frightening part, right, is didn't he say that they had, like, their best week of practice uh, here recently? And you know, hear that and you're like, really? Um, okay, but... You know, the discipline thing, I think some of that just comes with being focused. I think some of it's being young, too. Um, having a new offensive line, a lot of these false start penalties, you can at least attribute to that, but they can't continue on. I mean, they've got to get that out of their system. Um, the discipline part, I think that's some of that's still youth. Like, you know, when he was talking about Corey Gordon, he was talking about how the on-the-field needs to match the, the off-the-field. Yeah. You know, I think some of that's just maturity, um, and, and that's where some of the discipline comes into play. Uh, so, again, being a young team. But, again, that's not what people want to hear, though. Even though if it's legit of like, yeah, well, really our biggest issues are that we're, we're young in a lot of spots, that could very well be true. But that's just – that's not an excuse that flies right now. Even if it's true, it just doesn't because the transfer – like you just – that has to be addressed somehow or another. Um, so, I think some of this is just youth. Uh, but the motivation part is just – it puzzles me. I, I do not – for the life of me, understand the lack of motivation. I, I don't get it. I, I never will get it. I don't know how you suit up and you play college football and you're not motivated to go out there every Saturday. I don't know how you, you lose as many games as they have and then you go out there against Long Island and you, you show up like it's a practice. I, I just I don't get it. I don't I know that starts at the top. I can't imagine that Dave Aranda's not instilling some fire in these guys and it's just uh you know i guess that's some youth too and just the nerves and all of that but it's it's puzzling it's just puzzling because i don't feel like i see that in most places across the country young team old team otherwise um and that's the biggest issue if they came out with a little bit of fire in their backsides and played with a little bit of 
I know the word's overused, but swagger, but just played like they want to be there and they were confident in what they were doing and believed, um, you know, I, I it just it feel it just I don't know. There's just it, it feels like the fans want one thing and you just don't see that on Saturdays translate the way that you expect it to and, and I don't know where the disconnect comes in there. I really don't get it, but it's been ongoing now for a while. And I know that's another one of those things where maybe fans just see it differently than the coaches see it, but I don't know, man. I think it's pretty obvious that this is not a team that's gone out there and just full balls to the wall, like playing with their hair on fire from start to finish. We haven't seen that in a very long time. I mean I I think they did that against Utah. I really okay, do. Okay, Utah is I, I fair. I think you can definitely make the argument. Like, they played hard. I mean, you're playing with a backup quarterback who then sprained his ankle, and it was like, okay, well, they clearly couldn't do anything on offense. But, like, I did feel like they came out with a huge fire and intensity. But to your point, it's just inconsistent. Like, yeah. they showed up against TCU. Where was that against Kansas State the week before? Where was that against Texas the next week in the second half? Where was that against Texas State? Like, it just seems to be missing. And if you're inconsistent, you might as well just be that all the time, to be honest. Yeah, he pointed out the inconsistencies. That's really their biggest issue is the inconsistency. Uh, whatever you want to frame that as, uh, penalties or, you know, mm-hmm. passing the ball or defense or whatever, just in general, the lack of consistency has been – their their biggest bugaboo that's that's the main problem that they have and and that's something that has to be corrected and I don't know how that eventually gets uh you know to the finish line so to speak uh Bearcats if you're the OC what would you do to attack the Longhorns defense and get Sawyer comfortable in the game I mean the the, you'd love to just be able to run the football I mean that that would be the biggest thing but if my expectation is is that Texas is probably going to try to do everything they can to take that away. Um, and if that happens, the position that I'm kind of looking at, and I'm just wondering, and I'm sure you're wondering this, I'm sure the fans are wondering this, like, can they get some production from Monterey Baldwin or Jordan Neighbors or, like, these Please? slot receivers who are just so explosive and can really change a game by making one catch across the middle of the field and taking it to the house, like, can they get anything from those two guys? And if you know if they're able to, I think it opens up so much for their offense because we've seen Hal and Keytron be able to win on the outside. But if they can get those two guys going and actually get them creating yards after catch, it'd be huge for them. And I think it would open up things for their tight ends as well because I do think Drake Dabney is going to be very important in this game as well. Yeah, the Monterey ball with stuff is particularly uh, puzzling and his lack of involvement or when he does seemingly get drops involved, yeah. uh doesn't take advantage of the opportunity uh it's it's weird and uh, that's it's another thing it's an off the field thing mixed with on the field of just not like anything of like he's in trouble but just there's a disconnect in the maturity issues and and i guess just things not translating from practice over to the i, I don't know something's off there though um and yeah, it just seems like a massive missed opportunity uh, for this team, but especially for Monterey. So I, I don't know what's going on exactly, but uh, hopefully that gets cleared up and he can be the player that everybody expected him to be, which is one of the best players on this football team. But it has not been the case whatsoever through the first three games. No, it's it a total non factor. Yeah, it hasn't at all. And I think what would help him is if they're able to run more play action because that's been non existent and that's a staple in Jeff Grimes' offense. And they really need that. And they just haven't been able to do it because they, they haven't been accurate throwing the ball. They haven't ran the ball effectively every game. And so that's how I would try to attack it across the middle on quarterback rollouts to try to get him more more time um but it's just it's hard if your top guys aren't performing to the level that they need to be all right let's start to wrap it up here baylor uh wi bears or wisconsin bears i guess maybe maybe not Uh, when your coaching specialty is defense your defense has been the weakest part of your team for two straight years how do you justify that if you're 
CDA, Coach Dave Aranda, if he is some defensive genius, how has the defense become Baylor's biggest weakness? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, again, it's inconsistencies, right? I mean, against Utah, they looked really good. Now, you could say Utah's offense is terrible, but I, I think in general, you know, if Baylor's offense had played better, they probably won that game. You know, TCU uh, a year ago, TCU had a top offense in the entire country, top four in the nation, and Baylor slowed them down for the most part. Um, so it has been hit or miss. I, I do think that, you know, it is hard to justify it, um, because it was Dave Randa's decision to roll with a lot of young guys, right? Like, you got to take accountability for that. Could they have gone out and added more transfers last year? Probably, and they probably should have. And then this year, you know, you kind of look back on and go, okay, maybe they could have addressed the secondary a little bit more. You know, maybe the safety position a little bit more. Maybe linebacker, like just little things here and there defensively that could have made big changes for this team. So it's hard for me to defend it, and I understand exactly what you're saying. Like, if he's such a great defensive coach, why has it become, you know, not a staple for this team? And it is something that is a little bit challenging to answer. But I think in general, the talent and the fits haven't all come together, I don't think, for this roster. Yeah, I'll disagree. They're not the biggest problem right now. The biggest problem right now is the passing game and not being able to do anything. I'm not talking about you, the the question asker. I think the passing game is far more of a concern than the defense at this point. But I think also that's the disconnect I was talking about earlier of, you know, if people want to have patience and watch Corey Gordon grow up and watch Tayshawn Wilson grow up and watch these guys grow up, then it's going to take a couple years or it's going to take longer than you want. Um, but if you're like wanting it right now, then some of these guys just aren't up to snuff just yet. And so I think that's where there's that major disconnect of like they're building for the long haul and everybody else's minds are like winning in the now. And that's where there's this big, uh, you know, big, um, I guess, uh, butting of the heads as far as expectations go. Uh, Bear in the big greenhouse of Aranda's correct one-on-one interview with Smokey. And he has Big 12 championship talent level in practice. What's the disconnect coming over to the stadium? He seems to think the defense had the juice. Do you agree? I mean, I, I think a lot of it is motivation. A lot of it is inexperience. The a youth lot again. of it is, yeah, a lot of it is just the, I think hunger, you know, showing up consistent every day. And then the youth, it all kind of goes into one. And so I think that's been the disconnect. It stinks though, because this is what I heard all off season was that they were going to be, you know, very similar to that Big 12 championship team, maybe get it done a little bit differently. I don't think anyone expected the defense to be, you know, a top three defense or top whatever they were, like top eight defense in the entire country. But the expectation was the offense was going to be a lot better, especially the pass game. And that just hasn't all come together for them. And I, I think the staff still believes that. I think Aranda clearly still believes that. But they got, I mean, they got to change things. And a lot of that, in my eyes, is game prep. But also a lot of it is personnel and a lot of it is just adapting. And so we'll see if they're able to do that and get better as the year goes on. All right, uh, Ginger Bear, to close things on out here with, uh, I, don't think, I think, a couple of questions. Baylor's identity for the rule in Aranda Ayers has been a gritty run game that can break through defenses and grind them down, pair with a passing game that can make a few key chunk plays and elite defense that brings pressure up front and forces turnovers. Over the past three games, we've seen the ingredients for that recipe for success, but it hasn't really come together for a full game. Is that a fair assessment of Baylor's football identity recently? What do they need to do to put it all together and become successful? Thanks for all that you do, Sikkim Bears. Well, thank you, Ginger Bear. We appreciate the question. Yeah, I mean, that's that all seems about right. That seems like what they want to do. Force turnovers, create pressure up front, run the football, wear teams down, hit on big pass plays. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that all seems right to me. I mean, in order for it to all come together, though, I mean, 
you need a lot of things, right? Like they're playing a backup quarterback right now. That hasn't gone great so far. You know, maybe that changes this week. But, you know, if they had shapen, maybe that helped them. I think that I think that consistent effort would go a long way into making that happen as well. I think older guys continuing to take on leadership roles and making sure that the team is ready to go every single day, that would be great to see as well because we haven't really seen that since the 2021 season. So a lot of it, I I think it's hard for it to all come together, I think. But in general, that is kind of what they're going for, I believe. Yeah, man, I think you have their their identity and what they're shooting for right on, but uh, it's just not uh, hitting in the way that you would like it to right now. It's just not all operating at full cylinders. But, yeah, I think in general that's the the type of team that they want to be and that's the type of team they've shown they can be um, in in the past. Um, but I think the youth's playing a lot into this. Let's keep mentioning that word. That's not to excuse where they are at all because they should be far better and far farther along than they are. Um, but I do think that's where some of the questions of like, why aren't they this or why aren't they that? Some of it, sure, coaching, but I do think a lot of it is the youth. And again, um, just the the idea of where they are in their minds and where they are in you know the outsiders' minds is uh, in a couple of different places. And so we have ourselves uh, in a bit of a pickle here where there's things expected right now, and um, they're taking this long, like, roundabout route. And it's like, we don't have time for that. Like, you need to get back on the highway and, and get back on. And, and uh, maybe they can merge this Saturday. They certainly need to to make this a competitive game against a, a very talented Texas team. Um, but uh, do appreciate the questions. And I hate that so much of it's about, like, kind of the same things of like yeah. how do you get motivated how do you play with energy and the fact that those are like the main questions week in and week out is what i think is becoming um just really concerning uh, frustrating frustrating for sure um and I, I i think that that's uh that's something that's yeah it's just problematic at this point that we're kind of still talking about those issues every single week so um we'll see if there's uh you know a little bit of difference in the conversation post-Texas, but uh, what a challenge in front of Baylor this weekend. I know not a lot of people giving them a chance, and maybe that's exactly what they need is to just have people completely write them off, get out there in front of the home crowd, and uh, just go play a complete game. Maybe that's uh, what they're in store for. And if not, if they're in for more of what we've seen here recently, then it's going to get really ugly. So I guess uh, we got some picks here to close it out. How do you want to do this Yeah, let's do our Big 12 picks. So 11 a.m. on Fox, Oklahoma travels to Cincinnati. Oklahoma's a 14.5-point favorite. The over-under is 60.5. Who you got in this one? Uh, Give me Oklahoma. They're playing well right now. Cincinnati coming off an ugly loss in overtime to Miami of Ohio. Uh, Yeah, give me the Sooners, although going on the road to Cincy and this new Big 12 matchup could be interesting. But, yeah, OU should win this game just based on the the comparisons up and down the the board. Yeah, I'm going to take Oklahoma here 37 to 20. I think it'll be competitive at the beginning, and then Oklahoma will pull away a little bit. 11 a.m. on FS1, SMU travels to take on TCU. TCU, six-and-a-half-point favorite, over-under is 63-and-a-half. Yeah, this could be interesting. Uh, The Ponies can, you know, score. They can uh, get exciting. Uh, And, you know, Rhett Lash is doing a good job there, it appears. But uh, TCU, I'm still going to roll with them. you know, they uh, had a nice performance from Chandler Morris last week. Defense played well, uh, too. So, yeah, give me the Frogs. I think TCU's playing better football. And I also think Colorado kind of snuck up on them a little bit. So we'll see how they're able to translate that. This is always a tricky game for them. Um, but I do think they find a way to win it. Probably in a rather close game, though. 37-30 to 30 is kind of my expectation on that one. Next up, 2.30 p.m. on ESPN. 
BYU travels to Kansas. Kansas is a nine-point favorite. Over-under is 55-and-a-half. Both teams undefeated right now. Yeah, I think I'm going Kansas here. Um, but uh, BYU has, you know, shown a little a little improvement on defense early on. Keaton Slovis has had some some moments. Uh, I'm still not all in on them. You know, LJ Martin's a good back, and, and he's going to be exciting to watch grow up. But, yeah, I'm not totally sold on BYU, even though they went and beat Arkansas on the road. Uh, so, yeah, give me Kansas. But this is a very interesting game that uh, – I don't know how much light it will shed, but I'm I'm very curious on how it unfolds. Yeah, I'm not sold on either of these teams. I think they both oh, have fair, warts. Yeah. I, I think Kansas looked very unimpressive against Nevada, but a nine-point favorite, that is way too many points. I think this is going to be a close game. I'm actually going to take BYU in a really good one, something like 31-30, to 30, like really, really close game, really good football on both sides in this one for two teams that I think will make a bowl this year. Uh, next up at 2.30 on ESPN+, Plus, Texas Tech travels to West Virginia. West Virginia coming off that win over Pitt. Tech is a six-point favorite. The over-under is 55 points. Tech's got to figure out uh, what's going on with Tyler Shuck and their whole quarterback position. I, I take them in Morgantown, but man, I you know it's it's in Morgantown. That's always just a little wonky, or always has the potential to be. I think West Virginia has managed itself pretty well given the early part of their schedule, but uh, yeah, still I'm I'm going to go Tech in this game. Yeah, six points is way too many in this game. I, I this is going to be a good one. I think West Virginia is going to beat them though. I think it'll be an interesting one kind of back and forth, but in general, I, I just I trust West Virginia to run the football more than I trust Tech to take care of the football on the road. I um, just they they their defense looked good last week, but Pitt's offense absolutely sucks. So Oh, uh, it's yeah, terrible, but yeah. I mean, West Virginia also competed against Penn State. Like yeah. they've seen these this type of team before. So yeah, I think they're going to win this game in a close one though. Uh, something like 33 to 30. Uh, next up, 3 p.m. on FS1, Oklahoma State travels to Iowa State. Iowa State a three and a half point favorite over under 36 and a half. I mean, what an atrocious game on paper. Uh, two teams that just have a lot not going right uh, at the moment, especially on offense. Uh, give me Iowa State, but I think this is a total coin flip game. I wouldn't be surprised by either one winning 10-7, to um, and that's been some of their – like Iowa State certainly knows what those games are like. Give me Iowa State, but, I, I, man, I don't know about either one of these teams right now. Yeah, first to 10 points wins, right? I'm going to take Iowa State as well. It'll be very low scoring. I'm thinking something like 17-10, to 10, yeah. maybe even lower than that. Uh, next up, 6 p.m. on Big 12 ESPN+. Plus. Sam Houston travels to Houston. Houston a 12.5-point favorite. Over-under is 38. Yeah, let's take Houston, I guess, but uh, not impressed by them at all. Uh, Donovan Smith is not the answer at quarterback to replace Clayton Toon, and uh, they've just not looked very good. Just turns out UTSA is not very good either, so that made that first win look yeah. you know, slightly better than it was, even though that was an ugly game too. But, yeah, not, not where you want to be right now if you're Houston, but um, – I'll still take them in this game. This is going to be a rock fight. Sam Houston's got a great defense. Low scoring, but I think Houston will win it. Something like 20 to 10. Very low scoring. Should be a, a very tight game, actually. Uh, next up, 7 p.m. on FS1. UCF, without John Rice Plumlee, travels to take on Kansas State. Kansas State's a 6.5-point favorite. The over-under is 54.5. K-State coming off a loss to Missouri. Yeah, they managed pretty well without Plumlee for the first game, but uh, give me K-State at home. I don't want to really even think about this too much. I know they lost, uh, but 61-yard walk-off field goal on the road against an SEC team. I mean, come on. Uh, things happen. I don't look at Kansas State really all that differently, even though they've got a loss. Um, maybe they're not, you know, okay, they're not going undefeated, but I still think everything's on the table for them. It's so long as Will Howard's healthy, which, right. you know, that's the big question mark now. If he can't run – 
then that changes things dramatically. But still, I'm taking K-State here. I think UCF pushes them a little bit. But again, coming off that loss, and hopefully Will Howard is healthy. If he is, I think Kansas State wins this game. Um, but I think it'll be a little, little closer than some people think, at least initially. But something like 34-24, I'll take Kansas State in that one. And then finally, game of the week, 6.30 p.m. on ABC. Uh, the Texas Longhorns travel to Baylor uh, to take on the Baylor Bears. It's a 15-point uh, Home or 15 point favorite for Texas, 51 and a half over under. Who you got? Uh, just glad that we have Big 12 matchups, so there's not 14 games that have to go through right. <laughs> um, with the, the big league now. But uh, yeah, give me Texas uh, without hesitation. You know, I don't know about the spread and all that. I don't dabble in that as much as you guys do. Um, but yeah, that sounds about right. A couple touchdowns. I wouldn't be surprised by that whatsoever. If Baylor keeps it like single scores, then. Um, that's going to be fun to talk about, but I just I don't have a lot of faith in them at least this week and against a team like Texas to to uh, pull the upset. So yeah, give me the Longhorns. I think Baylor definitely shows up in this game. I think they play really hard, kind of like the Utah game, and I think that allows them to stay competitive throughout. But I think Texas hits on a couple too many explosive plays, and because of that, they're able to end up winning this game. I think the score will be somewhere around 31-21, to 21, um, so maybe a 10-point win uh, for Texas. But in general, I do think Baylor will compete, and I think it will be close even into the fourth quarter. All right, so there are the Big 12 games this week, and our quick picks on uh, all of the action, uh, both taking Texas. I think most people will. Interested to hear from those that don't and why you think that. I guess just upset special at McLean Stadium. Yeah. Certainly, it's it's better than 0% chance, um, and we'll see this weekend and what should be, um, you know, a fun game just from the standpoint of the history behind it and the history that will be going away. And I know for a lot of people out there, that could mean all sorts of different things growing up watching Baylor, Texas, or what have you, your family members and scattered and trash talking at Thanksgiving and all these different types of things. That's coming to a close for at least the foreseeable future. Um, so, yeah, enjoy this last ride uh, with Baylor and Texas, certainly in Waco. Don't know when we will see that again, but great team also coming to town just in general. General, uh, top three team in the country, a lot of talented future NFL guys. So, should be a fun atmosphere. Should be an interesting contest to say the least. And uh, we'll be talking about it with you next Tuesday. Appreciate all of you sending your questions. Appreciate all of you that listen and uh, enjoy the game this weekend. We will talk to you next week for Grayson Grunhafer and Garrett Ross. I'm Craig Smoke, and this has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com. <laughs>